Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm so glad you're here. I can tell you guys aren't quite awake yet. That's okay. Just stretch out your arms just a little bit. Can you guys do that? I feel like just stretch out a little bit. Let's wake up. Okay. Good. Yeah, shake it out. It's good to see you guys. I'm so glad you're here. We are all about helping people follow Jesus, and we want to help you follow Jesus, and in turn help you to help others follow Jesus. That's what we're about here. Um, we also encourage everyone to serve somewhere. Grant mentioned that. And this week I was amazed because we had a couple guys, one guy brand new to the church, was out pulling weeds all week long, uh, serving in the hot sun. And I love that, that somebody just sees a need and jumps in. Uh, another guy came in and, and was working on our sprinkler system, just volunteering their time. And we're so grateful for that. Um, so if you guys are interested in serving somewhere, we want to get you plugged in, whether it's serving meals at Denver Rescue Mission or it's um, we need some new sound and slide people, especially for our night service that's going to be launching here on September 8th. So if you're interested in, hey, I'm kind of techie, I'm, I like music, we could use you, we'll train you. So if you're interested in that, we also are looking for a few more people for our prayer team. So if you are interested in any of those things, mark that on your connection card, and we'll get in touch with you. Just see if it's a good fit. You can just test it out. Put your feet in the water, right? Some of you guys were doing this this week because it was so hot, you had to get in the pool, right? So we want to encourage you guys to do that. Um, today is the last message in our series in Ecclesiastes. Next week we're going to start that series, Collide. It's going to be a short series, just three weeks. It'll finish out July and the first week of August. And then starting after that, we're going to do a series that I'm calling Redeemed When All Seems Lost Through the Book of Ruth. And because it's one of two books of the Bible that are named after women, my wife, Melissa, is going to help me teach that series. We're really excited. We've never tried it before, but we've been working on it. We're really excited about it. I hope that you guys are as well. That'll start August 10th, August 10th. And of course, then September 8th, you guys are really excited because that's when our night service is going to launch. But we do have a little slight change. We're going to do it at 6 p.m. We've been getting some feedback, and and we want to make sure that kids, little kids especially, can get home before bedtime. So we're moving it up to 6 p.m. instead of 6.30, so 6 p.m. But we'll be talking about that a lot between now and September 8th. So if you're like, hey, I love that idea because then I can go skiing Sunday mornings and still make it to church, yes, that's for you, skiers, hikers, sleeper-inners. Yeah, it's services for you workers. Yeah, we get it. We know some people are watching online right now because you can't be here physically on Sunday mornings. We want a church service for you so that you can worship with the body of Christ. Okay, so let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We are going to finish out chapter 11 starting in verse 7 and go into chapter 12. If you're like, hey, we skipped some of chapter 9 and 10, we're doing it on our podcast So next week, actually, we'll finish up Ecclesiastes on the podcast. We've been covering some of the Proverbs there, these pithy sayings that don't really work well as a sermon. So if you haven't subscribed to that podcast, look for the 10,000 podcast. Sawyer and I host that, and we love it. I hope that you guys will enjoy that as well. We had a fun one this last week, and we answer some of your questions if you ever have those as well. So today, we're talking about the spirit in the sky, because we're all going to go up to the spirit in the sky, right? It's where I'm going to go when I die. Have you ever noticed that there's no perfect age? Have you noticed that? There's no perfect age. It's not even like a Goldilocks situation, like too old, too young. No, no, no. There's no perfect age. Because when you're young, you think, oh, when I'm older, then I can start doing stuff. stuff. Oh, I just wait till I do the next thing. And then maybe when I'm older, you know, finally I'll be able to figure out what my career path is. Maybe when I'm older, then I can get married. I'll wait to have kids. We, we do that, right? We put off things and we think, oh, I'm going to wait till the right age and then I'm going to really hit my stride. Things are going to be going great in my career and my family life is going to be good when I hit that age. But then what happens? All of a sudden this switch flips and then you're too old. 
You know, there's no perfect age. There's no like time where you're like, I think it maybe is like a half a millisecond. And you're like, ah, oh, missed it. Because then you're like, oh my gosh, now I'm too old to start that career that I always wanted to do, follow that dream. I've been, I, I haven't been married now. I'm set in my ways. I can't get married now, right? This is what we tell ourselves. It's too late to start a family. It's too late to do that thing that I've always wanted to do. Why is it that there's no perfect age? Have you thought about that? But it's the reality. There's no perfect time. There's no perfect age for us. And Solomon in this section of Ecclesiastes is going to talk about that process of youth, of aging, of what it's like in life, because it seems kind of meaningless. There's no perfect age. Nothing's ever right. You're either too young or too old. You know, uh, we, we put off doing things, especially when it's related to God. I was this way. I don't know if anybody else was this way or some of you who are young right now, some of you students thinking this way. You're thinking, hey, Matt, I, I'm, uh, maybe when I'm older, I'll do all that stuff that you're talking about. Following Jesus, serving. You know, I'm just too young. You know, I thought this for a long time. I, in fact, felt like I was called to be a pastor when I was 13 years old. It's pretty young, but I thought, okay, I know my career path, but... I'm too young to be a pastor. So I just kind of said, when I'm older, I'll do it. That's what I did for years. I said, um, once I'm older, once I'm more mature, once I'm wiser, then I will be a pastor. For right now, I'll just do whatever I want. And I did. And I think what we're going to learn today, and I had to learn the hard way, is that there is no perfect age. There's no time where all of a sudden it clicks for you. That you're like, okay, now I can start being faithful. Now I can be faithful to God and do what he says. No, no, no. There is no right time because it's always the right time. And that's what we're going to see here, whether you're young or old, because some of you are saying, hey, Matt, I, I didn't do that. I, I've wasted so many years. It's too late for me. No, no, no. No, no, no. No matter how old you are, God is speaking to you today in this passage because we want to find a meaningless, meaningful life, and that's what we're striving for in this series, what Ecclesiastes is all about, what Solomon was striving for, meaning even in age, in that aging process from youth to old age, there's meaning in all of it, and that's what we're going to find, especially as we close out this series. So Ecclesiastes chapter 11, we'll start in verse 7. You guys there with me? Those of you who have a Bible or smartphone, follow along on the screen. Solomon writes, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. That sounds good, doesn't it? There's no perfect age. Enjoy all of your life, no matter how many days there are. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. That, that phrase, meaningless, he keeps using it. That's that Hebrew word, havel. And it literally was talking about a wisp of smoke or mist, something you can see but you can't grab and hold on to. That's kind of how life is, right? He's saying all these things are meaningless. You can't hold on to them. There's that perfect age and then it's gone, right? So he's saying you've got to enjoy life, especially when you can, because there are going to be tough days. There's going to be days of darkness. I think even he's going to be talking about literal darkness because back then they didn't have glasses or contacts or LASIK eye surgery, as we'll see when we get to chapter 12. You literally will have days of darkness in his day when you get older. Cataracts, vision loss, macular degeneration. But there's going to be days of darkness coming. So whatever years you have, no matter how old you are, enjoy your life. Find true happiness, find true joy in your life now. Verse 9, he continues. Now he's addressing specifically those who are young. So you, if you are here and you're young, listen up. How old is young? You know it. I don't know. You who are young, verse 9, be happy while you are young 
And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. And then this is fascinating. Listen up. Young people, you watching? You listening? Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Hmm. That doesn't sound very biblical. That kind of sounds like you could, you could get that on a meme, right? You could see uh, Taylor Swift tweeting that out, right? Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Yeah, yeah, that, that's some good wisdom. And this is biblical wisdom. God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking through Solomon. And he's saying, hey, it's probably an old man that he's writing this book. He's saying, hey, you're young. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. You're young, but go after it now. The things you're looking for, the things your heart is set on, go after them. Now, a lot of people are like, that's crazy. I, I didn't think God would say something like that. I didn't think that could be biblical wisdom. How, how can that be? But here's the thing. God is a good, good father. Didn't we sing that this morning? God is a good, good father. Most of us think of God as a very strict disciplinarian father. And a very strict father would have very clear expectations and only a singular path for his child. This would be a, a bad father. Some of you had this father, and, and I'm sorry for that. You know, that's the father wound you have. The father's saying, okay, you are going to do this sport. You're going to play this instrument. You're playing the oboe so you can get a scholarship and get into school. I don't want to play the oboe. I don't care. Practice. You're going to this college, and then you're going to go into this field, and then you're going to work in this location, and you're going to have two kids. That's a bad father, right? To tell their kid that explicitly and, and, and say, this is the only thing you can do in your life. But what does a good father do? A good father may guide a little bit their child, but there's lots of options. Play whatever instrument you want. Try a few different ones out. If you don't like an instrument, let's try something else. Give lots of opportunity for their child so they can find out what are the things that their heart desires, the way that they see. You don't like that career? Let's help you figure out some other things. Let's give you some ideas when you're young, right? Isn't that what a good father does? The good father isn't mad. What? You're not a doctor? Only an engineer? Only a lawyer, come on, you know. That, that's a bad father. But a good father says, hey, there's all these different options. Okay, a lot of people think that the path God has for us is like this, this tiny little rope. I heard this from another pastor. This tiny little rope that you're like holding onto to cross a big canyon and on either side are these alligators trying to bite you, right? That's what people think that God's will is. This one thing and that's all you can do. Everything else is bad and evil and, and terrible and you're going to sin and go to hell. But really, God puts before us this like 10-lane highway. Look at the, He's a good father. He says, look at all these options you have in life. A lot of us get so fixated, those of us who, who really want to be faithful, we get so fixated. God, what is your will for my life? Which college am I supposed to go to? And it's good to involve God in prayer and the Holy Spirit saying, God, guide me in this. Sometimes he will tell you and he'll say, hey, this is what I want you to do. And you'll even hear an audible voice. Someone will speak to you. Wow, this is awesome. This is what I'm supposed to do. But sometimes it's like... Well, you can go to any number of colleges. You could choose any number of majors. You can go to any different number of career fields. And it's going to be okay. Because God has created you for something in your heart and go after that. See how God is like this? A good father? Say, hey, there's these lots of different options. Now, are there some options that aren't on the table? Yes. A good father does not let his 10-year-old daughter learn how to pole dance. No matter how much she begs, right? Right? That's not a good father. There are some careers that are off limits, right? 
There are some things that are not good. There are some areas that are sin and wrong and that will veer you off a path that is not faithful to God. You, you guys tracking with me? But what God is saying here is wisdom is, in a lot of situations in our life, there are more than one good option. It makes it trickier to decide, right? So those of you, somebody right now is like waiting for, God, give me a clear answer to what I'm supposed to do. Sorry. <laughs> you might have it, but maybe not. You're, you're trying to pray, is this the one? Is this the person I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with? Maybe. I don't know. God may say, this is the one person. But maybe you just need to have some wisdom about it. Say, Let, let's go on a few dates. Let's get to know each other a little bit first. See if this is going to work. Meet my family. I'll meet your family. I think this could work. Are there people that you shouldn't marry? Yes. You know, God wants us to marry someone who shares our faith so that your life can be the best possible life you can have. I know that's hard to hear, right? There are certain paths that are wrong, but there's a lot of good paths before you. And that's when we're here, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. You guys with me right now? Some of you weren't expecting to hear that from a pastor. But hey, it's not from me, right? It's from God. But there's an important caveat that Solomon ends with, and I think this is why we know it's not just like, whatever you want to do, anything goes. What he says next is so important in verse 9. He says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Yeah, you've got to know that. God will bring you into judgment for those decisions you make, for the ways that you go. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are what? Meaningless. But he's saying, hey, go what your heart leads you. You have some wisdom about it. Don't do anything too sinful because these sinful things, you'll be judged for them. There will be clear judgment for all the wrong decisions you make if they're sinful. You'll have to give an account before God on your last day. On the last day, rather. So think about it. Are you ready to give an account for those things? As we stand before the good, good father... We're going to have to give an account for everything we have done in our lives. We've seen that in our series so far. We've talked about judgment a couple different times. Solomon has said that that will happen. So I want us to think about this. Those of you who are young, I'm just addressing the young people for a second. If, if you consider yourself not young, once again, you decide. If you consider yourself not young, you just get to listen on this part, right? If you're young here, I want to encourage you to not wait. Don't wait to follow God. He gives you all these good paths. He's a good, good father. He wants you to grow and he wants you to experience his love and the blessing and the joy he has for you. He even says, be happy while you're young. That's what God wants for you. But he wants you to follow him in it because that is where the truest joy is. The truest happiness. So don't wait. Don't be like I was when I was in high school. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be a pastor, but I'll just wait. Because what I, if you know my testimony, I found myself in a jail cell. Yeah, your pastor's a felon. I don't know if we've figured that out. Yeah, no, somebody's laughing. Some of you are like, <gasps> well, guess what? When I was 18, I went to jail for vandalism. I had to tell this to the search committee when they were interviewing me here. And while I was in that jail cell, knowing that I was supposed to be a pastor, this is the craziest part because I was in the back of this cop car after vandalizing this building, breaking and entering. And the cop says, so what do you want to be when you grow up? How did I answer that, you know? I couldn't even bring my mouth to speak because I knew God had called me to be a pastor and I was off doing something else. 
And that night in a jail cell, you know, I felt God's love and forgiveness more than ever before. Like I expected him to be the, the mean disciplinarian dad, right? What are you doing? You know better. But I just felt that he loved me and had grace for me. And I was like, what am I doing? I want to follow him. I want to do whatever he says to do. And that's when I'm like, I'm going to be a pastor. And I was a pastor five years later because God can do that. I had to change a few habits. I had to do a few I needed to learn the Bible a little better, right? But don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't wait till you're older and more mature and wiser. Wait till you have a, a wife or a husband and then kids. I'll, I'll wait till that. No, no, no. Don't wait. Do it now. Follow God while you're young. And in fact, in chapter 12, verse 1, if we can jump ahead a little bit. 12.1. That's okay. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Don't wait. Don't wait till you're older. Um, C.S. Lewis said that we, kind of in our culture, we have this idea that, this, he calls it a strange illusion. We have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. We think that, oh, when you're young, you can kind of do whatever you want, it's fine. But what Solomon is saying is you're going to be judged by everything. It doesn't matter your age. We saw this in our culture when a judge, a Supreme Court judge, was up to be voted on. What he had done as a teenager, man, that was a major deal, right? We will all be judged by our Father in heaven, by what we decide when we are young. So don't wait to follow God. Choose now to be obedient. Choose now. In fact, I want to challenge you to do this in 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul gave this challenge to another young pastor. He said, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. It doesn't matter how old you are, you can be an example for those twice, three times your age. Don't wait. There's never a perfect age because right now is the age that you should choose to follow God. A few uh, people that are more seasoned are veterans here. Seasoned vets, that's what I'm talking about, of life. If you're thinking, hey, where's the passage for me? Well, that's where we're coming next. And I'm sorry to say it's kind of bleak. It's kind of bleak. But it's really good. It's really good. So let's look at chapter 12, verse 1 again. When Solomon said, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. See, there are days coming for all of us where they will be very hard. We will all get older. We all have health issues because of it. And then we will all die. It's happening. And what Solomon is going to do next, and I think he's an older man at this time that he's writing. So he has some experience under his belt. And I think he's talking from personal experience now. But he's going to use some very poetic language. And because of that, I'm doing something a little weird. I'm going to flip over to the NLT, the New Living Translation, because I think it has a better way that we can understand what these, these old ancient metaphors are. It's very poetic. It's very beautiful. So let's jump down to verse 3 in the NLT. He says, remember your creator before your legs, and this is the, the, the metaphor that he used, the, those dashes. He says, the guards of your house, talking about your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble. And when you get older, a little more wobbly, right? 
Need that cane? Need that walker? And then the, your shoulders, the strong men, begin to stoop. Doesn't that happen? Can you, you see this image? He's, the strong men begin to stoop. Remember him before your teeth. Your few remaining servants stop grinding. Okay? You've got your dentures in now, right? And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds. You know what I'm talking about? The older you get, you can't sleep anymore. Right? Soon as a moment of light, well, I guess I'm up for the day. Heard a sound, well, 2 a.m., who cares? It's time to rise. At the first chirping of the birds, you wake up, but then all their sounds will grow faint. You're starting to lose your hearing. See, Solomon is describing his aging process, and it's not pretty, right? But this is what happens to all of us. Our bodies slowly but surely break down. He continues on in verse 5. Remember him before you become fearful of falling. Doesn't that happen? Fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets. You're afraid of everything before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom and you drag along without en- energy like a dying grasshopper. Can you just see that image of like a grasshopper? Just can't fly anymore, can't jump around. And then this is interesting. And the caper berry no longer ex- inspires sexual desire. That was an ancient aphrodisiac. So he's basically saying, okay, none of that medicine, that blue pill, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, yeah. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Remember God before all those bad things happen. It's going to happen. We all need to prepare for it. That's what he's saying. So don't wait. Don't wait to get right with God. You can keep waiting, but it's just going to get harder and harder. And then you're going to say, oh, I'm too old for that. Too old for that. Uh, Maybe when I was younger, I could have done those things. There's never a right age. There's never a perfect age. Now is the right time. That's what Solomon's saying. Do you hear that? In verse 6, he uses some more metaphorical language, but I'll jump back to the NIV. He says, remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. He's probably referring to our bodies breaking down here. As beautiful and as amazing as the human body is, at some point, the silver and the gold will be gone. We'll break down and we will die. And he says that too is meaningless. It's havel. It's that vapor, our, our very life, our bodies. All of a sudden, they're broken down before you know it. It's a bleak picture, but it's a realistic picture, isn't it? It's true. It's honest, saying this is what life is like. Look at it. Try to understand it. And get right with God now before it's too late. I shared last week about uh, an older gentleman in my congregation in Nebraska while I was there who had never come to church before, but in his 70s, he decided to start coming, and he was there every week, even though he had to come in on a walker. Even though sometimes he would have to leave in the middle of the service, he asked me, he said, Matt, is it okay if I get up in the sermon and leave? I said, why? Is it bad? He's like, no, I've got to get to the restroom. And I said, hey, yes, please do. Please do. 
You know, because some people feel like you can't anymore. Let's be honest here for a second. But he kept coming, and I'm so glad he did, because when he passed away last week, I know that he was right with his creator. He was prepared to face the Father in heaven, the judge. And I want all of us to be ready for that too. Don't wait. Don't say, hey, maybe when I'm older, then I'll get right with God. No, 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 no. Do it now before it's too late. We're going to look now at the very end of chapter 12. There's kind of a change in tone now in the passage. And I think, this is my theory, is that somebody else other than Solomon wrote these last several verses. It's almost like an epilogue. Some people think Solomon still wrote it, but it seems a little strange. It's like in the third person instead of the first. So I think that maybe this was the, the editor, whoever was writing it down, is like, okay, I'm going to put my concluding remarks on this book. Still inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word, but in verse 9 we read, Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. This is true, all this stuff we've been reading. Everything we've looked at in this book. There's been so much that Solomon has said, and, and he, he searched out all of life. He was the wisest person to ever live at that time. That's what the Bible tells us. And he looked at all of life. He tried everything. Remember in the series we were saying he still hasn't found what he's looking for because he tries this and that. He has the money. He has the women. He has the power. I'm going to try this and try that and try that and write about it to analyze it, to examine it so that I can pass on the wisdom I have learned from it. We've learned a lot in this series, and I just want to review for a minute some of the things we've learned in the very first week. We learned that everything under the sun is still not enough. Solomon had it all and he says, hey, I want more. It's all meaningless right now. I need something more. There's got to be more than just what's here on planet Earth. There's got to be more than just that we're these animals, that it's survival of the fittest. It's got to be more than that. And then in week two, we saw that Solomon chased after pleasure. And we learned that pleasure is a gift, not a God. God wants us to enjoy the things he has for us, but we cannot worship it and make our entire lives around it because then it will destroy us. In week three, we learned about work, that there's only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. What we work, what we do with our hands, our nine to five or however many hours we work, it, it should all be about God. And if it is, it can provide meaning, something that will last beyond this life. In the next week, we learn that God makes every season beautiful if you choose to see it. Even these seasons of aging. These seasons of aging can be beautiful if we see that God is working through that. And then the week after that, we learn that earth without heaven is hell. If there is no life beyond this one, what a tragic, terrible existence. There's some awful things that happen that we don't even understand. If that's all there is, if there's no heaven, life here is hell. But thankfully there is heaven, right? And then the following week, Grant Ryder jumped in and he challenged us about how relationships are important. That we need to choose community. And then Sawyer Trapp came the next week to talk about the times that we go before God and worship. And it's not just these moments on Sunday mornings, but our entire life is worship. And then when we came back, uh, when I was back here, we, we talked about money. money. And you, we learned that you can't buy happiness, but you can receive it. Happiness has to be a gift. You can't purchase it no matter how much money you have, no matter how much stuff you have. And then 
we learn that we need to wisely submit to kings, the authorities above us, who do wrong. Because they're imperfect authorities, right? Till the true king, Jesus, makes everything right. And then, last week, we learned that every man dies, but not every man really lives. Remember that? Some of you missed some of these messages. I encourage you to go back. They're all going to be up online at stippletonchurch.com under the media tab if, if you missed any. But we've learned the whole gamut of life, right? Solomon has tried just about everything in life. He went after this and that. He had money. He had women. He had power. He had everything. He still hadn't found what he was looking for. And, and that's why I think there needs to be an extra conclusion on the end of this book. That's why I think there's an epilogue here. And in verse 11, we read a little bit more about it. It says um, that the words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. You notice that some of the words in here are harsh or hard to hear. You don't even want to think about some of that stuff, right? Do you know what a goad is? If you have a cow or a goat that isn't staying in line, you take this stick with nails on the end and you jab them. That's a goad. These are the words that Solomon has written down. They're sometimes like that, but they poke us with the reality of life so that we can see what we're supposed to do. It's given by a shepherd who's guiding us to a better path. And then finally, in the conclusion in verse 13, we read... Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the conclusion. If you wanted to summarize all his words, he's tried everything. Psalm has tried everything. Even a lot of very sinful things he did in his life. He tried it all. And if you look at his life and you look at his writing in this book, there's no other conclusion but to say we must fear God and keep his commandments. And the fear we're talking about here is a reverential fear, that realizing God is powerful and that he is the judge, that there is a bit of fear and trembling before him, and yet he is also good. He's also good. He's like a strong, protective father. You do what he says. You do what he says, but you also love him because he loves you. And cares for you and watches over you. We need to fear God and keep his commandments. What's really interesting is that this is basically the conclusion of of Solomon's life. I I think this was at the very end of his life that he's writing this. We we don't know 100% sure, but it sure seems like it, doesn't it? What's interesting is that Solomon also wrote another book of the Bible. Or most of another book. And that is the book of Proverbs. A whole bunch of sayings of how to live a wise life. And we know that based on the stories we have of Solomon's life, that when he was very young, when he was first coming into being king, he prayed and asked God for wisdom, and God gave him the most wisdom ever and all that other stuff. Solomon was the wisest person to ever live, and I think that's probably when he was younger that he wrote down so many of those sayings. And now at the end of his life, when he tried everything and went after everything, then he concludes, and the conclusion here is, fear God and keep his commandments. But what's so interesting is that in the book of Proverbs, he starts out that way it's interesting in proverbs chapter one we read the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge and a little bit later in chapter nine we read that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom 
If you really want to know how to live a good life, if you want to know anything, if you want to have wisdom for the best way to live, you have to start with the fear of the Lord. That's the foundation. That, that's what the whole book of Proverbs is about. But now in this book of Ecclesiastes, he's tried everything. And at the very end, what's the conclusion? Fear God. Here's the thing. If you try to do anything in the middle without God, it will leave you wanting more. It'll be awful. Some things will be terrible. And at the end, it will be even worse. See, this is the thing I want you to understand from today and and hopefully from this entire book of Ecclesiastes. That a meaningful life begins and ends with God. It's got to begin with the fear of the Lord. You who are young, don't wait. Start now. As you're approaching the the years when you're saying, oh, how long is it going to be? Do I need to get my funeral uh, arrangements in order? Do I need to write that will and testament, get that taken care of? Okay, when you're there, you need to fear God. And guess what? Everything in between belongs to God as well. If you want a meaningful life. Sure, you can chase down all these rabbit trails. You can go after this and go after that. Try this career, try that money. You can do it just like Solomon did. And guess what? At the end of it, you're still going to be saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's really interesting. One of our great philosophers, Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking, he he said in his book, he wrote, then we shall all, after they've studied and figured out a meaning to everything, he said, then shall all philosophers, scientists, and just ordinary people, we're just the ordinary people, right? Be able to take part in the discussion of the question of why it is that we and the universe exist. If we find the answer to that, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason. I agree. For then we would know the mind of God. Fascinating that he says this, right? If we could figure out the meaning to life, then we'd know the mind of God. Well, he searched for it and and he ended his life and as far as I know, didn't find it. But guess what? It's here in this book. Telling us that at the beginning and at the end is God. That everything is about God and for God. That we are created for a purpose. For God's glory. And when we walk with God, going after the things that he has put in our heart, right? When we walk with God all the days of our life, we will have true meaning and true joy. This is why even Bono, who wrote, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, he later said in an interview, he said, when you align yourself with God's purpose, as described in the scriptures, something special happens in your life. He found what he was looking for. And I hope that you will as well. I think this is what Jesus was talking about. When in John chapter 15, he said, If you keep my commands, sound familiar? You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. You want a happy life? You want true happiness, true joy, true meaning? It's got to begin and end with God and everything in between. Don't wait. If you're waiting till you're older, if you're waiting till the right time, till you have something settled in your career, no, no, no. Don't wait. It's got to begin with God and end with God. So we have the band come up. I just want to encourage you to think about Jesus himself. To think about Jesus Because Jesus was the one who's the true shepherd. Did you notice how Solomon was referred to as the one shepherd? We know that there was a greater shepherd to come, Jesus. And what's interesting, when Jesus walked this earth, 
he said that one greater than Solomon has come. He's talking about himself. And we know that it says in the scriptures that he grew in wisdom and stature and that he learned obedience. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus grew in wisdom, grew in obedience. And he lived out a life of obedience throughout his whole life, even in obedience up to death on a cross. And he was an even greater shepherd than Solomon. He was a greater shepherd than Solomon because he went after the one sheep that went away, right? Leaving the 99 to go after the one. And he was an even greater shepherd because he laid down his life for us. Jesus is our wisdom. Jesus is our shepherd. And when we turn to him in faith, that's the best because what's even more incredible is because he died on the cross, all of our sins are forgiven, even those ones we did when we were young or middle-aged, or old. All of them are forgiven in the grace of Jesus Christ. And we can be forgiven so that when we do stand before the judge, we can claim His grace and His blood upon ourselves. So don't wait. Receive that grace and forgiveness right now. Some of you have some sins, maybe way in your youth, maybe something that happened on your way to church here this morning, or anywhere in between. Maybe it's time to confess those to God, to repent, to turn to Him and receive the grace that God has for you. Some of you here, though, are, are, are really fighting this. I, I know you're really fighting this because it feels like a goad in your side, right? Did you know that's what Paul felt? It's interesting. That same word goad appears when Paul became a believer. He had this miraculous experience with God that he was on his way to persecute Christians, to kill them. And God blinded him, knocked him off his horse. He had no sight. And Jesus spoke to him there. He appeared and Jesus said, why are you fighting against the goads? Why are you fighting? I'm trying to to put you in a good direction and you're just hurting yourself. I'm the good shepherd and I'm leading you to the good father. And I want to encourage you, if you're fighting against this thing, no, 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 Matt, now's not the right time. Maybe when I'm older. No, 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 don't fight it anymore. It's time today to get right with God. So would everybody just bow your heads with me? Lord God, I pray for all of us because we have sins, not just of our youth, but of yesterday, of today. Lord, we have so many things that we could look at and weigh down and we're saying, I'm not good enough. I haven't been obedient. I haven't followed the Father. But Lord God, you are a good, loving Father who sent your own Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us, to give us grace and mercy and forgiveness for that. And Lord God, we want to receive that grace today. If you're here today and you're saying, Matt, I I need to repent. I need to confess some sins right now. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. If you have sins, Lord God, I just pray for these men and women who are saying, yes, I need forgiveness. I need grace. I am there with them. Lord God, we confess that we are sinners. And we know that you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And and Lord God, as we're starting to pray for the people around us, if you're here today and you're saying, Matt, I've never gotten right with my Creator. I'm not ready to face judgment. I'm not ready to die. But I want to get ready today. Would you raise your hand? Awesome. I'm going to say just a simple prayer. And if you are already a believer in Jesus Christ, join me in this prayer because you've said this before. And if this is your first time, make this your confession because this is how we get right with our Creator. Lord God, I confess I'm a sinner. I ask You to forgive me. I ask You to give me Your Holy Spirit to guide me 
And Lord, I pray that you would be my Lord and you would be my Savior. And I would follow you all the days of my life. Amen. With eyes still closed, if you made that prayer for the first time today and you meant it, I'm going to be in the back here in just a second. Grant is going to be in the back. We might have some people from the prayer team as well. We have a bag that we want to give you as just a special gift. Or if you're here about anything that you need prayer about, you're struggling, if you have sin that you're worried about that's bearing down on you, if you are going through a tough trial, whatever it is, we want to pray with you. We're going to be in the back end, and we're going to finish right now with worship. Lord God, you are a good God. You are a good creator, and you have provided us with so much goodness here with our life. And with our life, with our breath, we want to praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I'll be here. 